The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Receive instruction in in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirits to you. I will make my words known to you. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. You may be seated. Thank you, Callie. Good morning. My name is Ben. I'm on staff here, and we are glad you're here with us this morning. We're beginning a new sermon series uh, in the book of Proverbs uh, for this summer. Uh, We know that, you know, summer schedules can be crazy um, here, there, and everywhere, and um, every weekend is not the same. And so uh, this is not a narrative sermon. It's not like one big story. It's all kind of one-offs. And so we're glad and excited to be uh, looking at it and seeing how Proverbs, an Old Testament book of wisdom, has to do with today, uh, which has a great deal to do with today, and we're excited to uh, unpack it. Uh, It's not a stretch or um, a dangerous assumption to think that you and I, we all want the good life. We want uh, the good life, something that Kanye and others have sung about. Uh, It's a concept that's known through all humanity. We want Uh, gusto and happiness and joy and contentment and uh, fill in the blank. We want it all. We want the good life. And and so as we want the good life and are pursuing the good life, um, there are many things that fill in the day that are black and white. We decide and we have the telos, the end of living the good life. And we have these black and white decisions, right? You shouldn't uh, drive 27 ridge or 24 ridge cut anywhere between two or six or really any other time of the day, right? Is that correct? Right? You don't choose the line at checkout that's super long. You get this, right? These these life hacks, black and white. Uh, but you don't have to live long to know that there is not a whole lot of life that's simply black and white. In fact, a lot of it is gray. In fact, we are travelers in the land of nuance. We're travelers in the land of gray areas that we have to decide and discern and distinguish and and live in light of the gray around us. That's what wisdom is. That's what the Proverbs speak into us, into our uh, experience. And so uh, this morning, we'll see um, kind of a 40,000 foot view, uh, kind of a, um, a zoom out a primer for really different specific proverbs ahead of us. And so this morning, when it comes to wisdom, we'll kind of see three distinct things. We'll see first, uh, why we need wisdom. Uh, Second, what wisdom does to us. And third, how we get wisdom. And so with that in mind, let's go before the Lord and pray as we study 
his word this morning. Oh Lord, we come into this room with different stories, hopes, and dreams. As the song at Christmas says, um, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in you tonight. And so we long for that to be true this day. Of the hopes and fears of all of us, of, of the good life, of living, are met in you, King Jesus. As we look at wisdom and foolishness, would you show us and expose in our lives and our hearts and our motivations and our thinking the way we have run from you? Would you bring us back? as you do so well and so gently and so restoratively. Lord, as we look at wisdom, would you have mercy on the one who is a great fool and preaching on wisdom this morning, for he is a fool. Lord, would you in your infinite wisdom, wise wisdom, uh, come and meet us where we are this day as you promised. We pray, Christ, in your name. Amen. Uh, so first, why we need wisdom. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the, a book called First Kings, uh, it tells of uh, Solomon. King Solomon is uh, King David's son. So he has inherited everything from his father, King David. And King Solomon inherits everything. And, and First Kings 3 talks about King Solomon in a dream. And the Lord uh, visits King Solomon in a dream and says, King Solomon, you can ask for whatever you want. And whatever you ask for, I will give to you. What would you want? It's yours. And he thinks and he says, uh, God, I want wisdom. I want to be able to discern life and, and the things of life. And it says God is pleased with this request. He says you could have asked for uh, wealth, a uh, defeat of your enemies. You could have asked for anything. And Solomon, you asked for wisdom. And because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else also. Both wisdom and everything you didn't ask for. And so we are learning here from Solomon, the writer of Proverbs. He's writing this to a, a younger generation behind him, showing black and white, gray, how to live, what wise living looks like. And so we see wisdom in this. So let's, from the get-go, let's define wisdom. What is wisdom? If we're going to talk about it so much, what is it? Uh, one theologian has defined it this way, competence with regard to the realities of life competence in regards to the way life is, the way life makes itself known, how we live it, the competence, how we navigate the world around us. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. And it's something that Solomon's imparting to his audience and to us. And it's not long before we realize that there is something that resists that wisdom, that fights it. And it's this. It's our wisdom. That eight days out of the week, you and I will choose our wisdom. That we will choose our competence into the realities of life, our way of making sense of the world around us, our way of navigating the world. We will choose our wisdom over God's. Tim Keller has a book that's the size of my pinky. It's really short and, and, and a great book. I entreat you to read it called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And in that book, he's talking about what a humble life looks like. And he says this, he says uh, in his book, Sickness Unto Death, Soren Kierkegaard, who's a philosopher, uh, says, it is the normal state of the human heart to build its identity around something besides God. Spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives. 
achieve our own sense of self-worth and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. Competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough in our lives without God. That's what spiritual pride is. And also, that spiritual pride makes itself known in our own wisdom. And it's been the story since the beginning of time. Uh, Because Adam and Eve got everything from God, looked at him and said, I think we'll do better, actually. We're going to choose our wisdom over your wisdom, God. It's something that is reality. Uh, Kierkegaard talked about, Keller talked about, um, Solomon talks about, all because true in Adam and Eve's life and true in our lives. That we choose our own competence to the realities of life all the time because of two things. It's not, these two things aren't just the summation of, uh, of wisdom, but they're ingredients, essential ingredients, that we choose our wisdom because, A, we are experts. We have the expertise of our life and the life of the world around us, and we have the authority. We are experts, and we are supreme in our authority. We look at the world, and we say, I can explain it all. My expertise is amazing. Uh, I, can, I can define it all and explain it all. And then we look at our authority and say, no one can rival me because I'm the expert. So that's what we do. We choose our wisdom because we like our expertise and we like our supreme authority. And yet the Bible talks about wisdom and foolishness. What is foolishness? Uh, being wise in our own eyes, set in our ways, self-righteous, opinionated, stubborn, hard to persuade, uh, despises correction. It sounds a whole lot like being wise in our own eyes, being, being the own um, wise people who are competent. When we choose our, wis- our own wisdom over God's wisdom, we actually become more like fools, being set in our ways. It's a pretty bad question to ask, um, so is that you? Are you wise in your own eyes? Actually, a more clarifying question to answer that question is this, is the question of where in your life do you see someone else being the problem? Where in your life do you think they're the issue, not me? I'm so wise and so competent in understanding life that I can recognize they're the issue, not me. It could be a parent. You think, my parents have screwed me up so badly. It could be a sibling that, 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 that is so difficult, and they're the issue. And if they just fix their act, it'd be better. It could be a friend who has stabbed you in the back and messed up things, and they have erred. It could be a spouse that in marriage, if they just started playing by your rules, everything would be better. If we wanted to get really personal and really situational for our modern time, it could be a politician or a party that they're the issue, not us. If we want to get really personal and specific, it could be the health officials that have it wrong, right? We could go on and on the specificity, it's quite the word, of our own foolishness really is pretty blatant. And so this morning, I would ask you the question, not to uh, nullify or ignore wrongs that have been done to you, but where in your life do you look at others and say, they're the issue, they're wrong, I'm right. It's so easy to look at the world and see 
Everyone else is wrong. I'm right. And the greatest threat to me is anyone else who rivals my expertise and my supreme uh, authority. And in that economy, in that thinking, public enemy number one is a God who says, I'm an expert of the world around us because I made it. And I'm actually have supreme authority because I'm helping it be renewed. It takes us off the throne of our lives and actually puts God on it where he should be. That's a great threat to us. There's this um, kind of black stain in the history of Israel in the Old Testament. And it's um, one of the first books in the Old Testament. It's called Judges. And pretty much uh, everything that happens in Judges is defined by this. This one verse in Judges. It says this, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. When we choose our own wisdom, we do as we see fit. Because there's no king. And yet, in that type of lifestyle, an MO, it's easy to, to see and make sense that things go awry pretty fast. That the, the fractures of uh, the world are stressed more and more, and they become fault lines and then divides. Right? Things can get sideways really fast when we become the most wise people, and they're the problem. Others are the problem. There's a, a movie in the 90s by the Coen brothers that's not for every audience, um, but it's called Fargo. And Fargo is this uh, story about uh, this um, Midwestern, I said Middle Eastern last service, Midwestern uh, car salesman named Jerry Lundegaard, uh, who's from up there. And he's this uh, car salesman who's in debt. And he's not making his debts known to the people around him. He's kind of keeping it secretively, and he's trying to get out of it. And so he has this great plan that he's going to do this, broker this land real estate deal and get things fixed with his rich father-in-law. And that doesn't pan out. And so he has this, uh, another scheme to cover his debts by um, uh, having uh, kind of scrab- scribbling in VIN numbers, uh, vehicle identification numbers, and kind of getting loans from uh, car dealerships. And that doesn't really pan out. And so he has this great idea. He says, I know how to fix things. Because I'm an expert and I'm wise and supreme, I know how to make sense of everything around me. It's this, I'm going to have these crooks kidnap my wife, and then my rich father-in-law will pay a ransom, and everything will be okay, and I'll get a part of the the pie of the ransom. Makes sense, for sure. Well, um, I'm going to spoil the movie for you, so if you want to do this, you can. Um, the, The movie ends by him in his underwear climbing out a motel window being pulled by police and yelling no 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 every yeah (laughs) everything in his wise life he was competent in explaining everything fell through his fingers it's easy to understand that like jerry lundegaard we try to make sense of our lives and be competent enough. And it's no surprise that we actually become less human ourselves. And there's shrapnel that flies and hurts others also. That's not a vacuum. We need wisdom because we will choose our wisdom eight days out of the week. When I'm most angry, it's when someone rivals my expertise and my authority. When I'm most powerless, it's when someone usurps and takes me off the throne of my life. When I'm most anxious, it's when I'm beginning to run out of options. And when I'm apathetic, it's when options have been totally run out. Why? Because my expertise and wisdom and my authority and my wisdom are stripped away. 
we need a wisdom outside of us because our wisdom simply doesn't work because our wisdom is actually foolishness. So we need wisdom, but we also need a wisdom that changes us. And that's what Proverbs talks about. At the very end of chapter one, it says in verses 22 and 23, it says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make words known to you. Turning from our wisdom to God's wisdom, it changes us. So the second idea, how does God's wisdom change us? How does God's wisdom change us? Solomon's writing this words of wisdom to this generation behind him. He's telling them, it's not lost on him, the need of wisdom. And he's saying how wisdom changes you. And he gives us kind of two distinct things. In verse 2, it talks about two things. First, it talks about a deep character, that, that, that God's wisdom produces in us a deep character. It says to know wisdom and instruction, right? Deep character to navigate life. That's how God's wisdom changes us. We can navigate life because we're actually off the throne and God's wisdom is directing us. It's directing us that we have deep character. In verses 3 and 4, it kind of accentuates this deep character thought. And it says this, it says, uh, to receive instruction in wise dealings and righteousness and justice and equity to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Wisdom is about a whole life experience. That's not just more information and knowledge, but actually it helps you in all of your life, every aspect. It says it helps you in righteousness, right? Personal responsibility, becoming new, being changed, actually um, being able to boast in something. Wisdom helps the fool because it provides them, provides them wisdom. Also, it says it helps us in justice and equity. It helps us look at other people and see dignity in them. Justice and equity. If we think it's just righteousness and how us being changed and not others, that's a half-baked wisdom. If we think it's just this, just others and not us, it's pretty shallow. But in fact, true godly wisdom changes the whole person. Righteousness and justice and equity, ourselves and others. Where do you think godly wisdom, right, put another way, where do you think the gospel is good enough only for you and not others? The way you relate to them. Or where is the wisdom or the gospel only good for others as you relate to others and actually you don't really have a part in it? Because the story of the gospel and the story of wisdom is that it meets fools like you and me and it changes all of our life. Every part of who we are, the human experience, every part of us. Deep character, but also it talks about straight thinking. It says in verse 2, to understand words of wisdom. It helps us comprehend what is true and good and right. All of life, every part of us, deep character, straight thinking. I was reading these verses earlier this week, and I was trying to kind of, you know, when you preach, you're supposed to help understand and package it and give it, give it out in good ways. And I was uh, reading this this week, and I was like, this, this is, it's going to be hard to make lemonade out of these lemons. Uh, there's so many words that are similar, and they're different, and how do you articulate it? Or how do you really make sense of wisdom? And I think that's the point. That wisdom is a hard thing to wrap your arms around and make clean and perfect because in our lives, 
are messy in particular different ways that wisdom comes and heals us and directs us in particular ways. So it's not just all of our lives, though it is. It's also for all of our life. Uh, It says in verses um, 5, it says this. It says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Increase, they still have a lot to learn. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. Guidance, it's a nautical term, how you guide a ship, kind of. Verse 5 is saying, yes, it talks about all of life, but it's saying, even when you're wise, you never arrive. You still have a lot to learn. And in fact, it's not just all of your life, but it's for all of your life. That wisdom is changing us, and we never graduate. We never arrive. We never think we've made it. We always have more to learn. Because when we think we've made it, we actually become the fool, thinking set in our ways, we've arrived. And so my question this morning for us is, in your spiritual life, in your following God, and your questions of God, and how you relate to God, what does the word formation have to do with that? That in your spiritual life, and you following Jesus, and you desiring to follow Jesus, the word formation, the word of how you're becoming something, what role does that play? Because if it's simply just a means to an end of arriving, it's easy to become a fool, being superior. But when we realize that actually the whole Christian life is about formation, grace and mercy become a beautiful thing because we know we need it. And hooping spoonsful every day. That we are a people who are being formed and shaped and made new every day because we need wisdom every day. If you think back five years, 10 years, 15, 20, if you think back in your life, you've thought this, I've thought this, you look back at a particular event or something that's been done or said, and you're like, you think to yourself, what in the world was I thinking? Right? We can, it all happens to us, right? We look back on the chronicle of our life and we're like, what, was, what in the world was I thinking? I was such a doofus. And then in five years, 10 years, 15, 20, in the future, you look back on June 6th. Yes, the 6th. Thanks for laughing. Um, you look back on this day and you're like, what was I thinking? I was such a doofus then. All of it shows that wisdom changes all of our lives for all of our life. We're all works in progress. No one arrives. That's because we all need the one who gives mercy. And that gets us to our last idea. That yes, we need, we need wisdom. And yes, we, we are changed by wisdom. But how do we get wisdom? Right, how do we get it? We want it. It's good for us. All these things has talked about how do we get wisdom? How do we get the competence uh, to, to navigate life, the reality, ooh, realities of life? And it's through two things, fear and foolishness. Fear and foolishness. So first, fear. Um, the Bible talks about, uh, if you zoom out, a negative view of fear. Right? It says that perfect love casts out fear, and it does, and it's beautiful And it talks about how God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, and it's true, and it's beautiful. But just like the Bible talks about a negative view of fear, it talks about a positive view of fear. It talks about a positive view of fear because it's showing that 
you are in awe and reverence and revering the person you're in the presence of. A good fear. It's not because you're scared. It's because you're in amazement of it. And the beauty of it. The power of it. When there's a negative view of fear, you look at something that you're afraid of and say, they can hurt me. They can take something away from me. In a positive view of fear, you look at the person and you think, you're so amazing, you're so beautiful, you're so powerful, you are so something, and I'm nothing. I'm afraid I'm going to take something away from you and hurt you. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Verse 7, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The place we start and how we get wisdom is through a revering positive fear. That as fools, we stand in the presence of God and we look at him and we're like, "Ah, I am so in awe of who you are. Your benevolence, your kindness, the way you move toward me. And that's where you begin and that's where you never graduate from. Because you are in the presence of someone great. When I was um, growing up, every Sunday after uh, after church, we'd go and see my grandparents. They were living in a senior living uh, center. And because of different needs, uh, my grandmother and my grandfather were in different rooms and kind of wings of this center. And so uh, when we would walk down the hallway to see my grandfather, there would be names in the doors where each person lived in the rooms. And so me and my twin brother and my siblings would kind of look at the names. And um, when we got to my grandfather's room, across the, his, the hallway from my grandfather was this guy named Bill Wade. And my dad said, Bill Wade lives there. And we're like, yeah, Dad, he does. And he said, you don't know who Bill Wade is, do you? And I'm like, no. Me and my twin brother, Jack, said no. He said, well, Bill Wade is the greatest athlete to come out of Nashville, my dad said. And me and my brother think, okay, old-timer, thanks for good, good stuff, you know, the old days. He says, Bill Wade's actually the greatest athlete to come out of Vanderbilt. And we're like, okay, this, you're making the point worse. It's Vanderbilt, okay? <laughs> and he went to, my dad went to Vanderbilt, so he's kind of, you know, hyping this up. And he's like, you don't get it. He was the number one draft pick in the NFL draft in 1953. We're like, oh, okay then. <laughs> he says, actually, you don't get it. He's a Super Bowl-winning quarterback with the Bears, and he's all pro. And we, our eyes just keep getting bigger and bigger. Every time we walk past Bill Wade's room, we'd look in kind of like this to see the great Bill Wade. We were in the presence of someone great. We weren't scared of him because he was going to hurt us, me and my twin brother. We were scared of him and we feared him because he was so amazing. You're in the presence of someone so great and you feel like nothing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You don't fear him because you're scared of him. You fear him because he's so great. And actually that greatness comes and meets you as a fool who's a nothing. Fear is how we get wisdom. Because when we are fearful of God the positive way, There's no way we can choose our own wisdom. So we get wisdom through fear. But lastly, we get wisdom through foolishness. We've talked, right, a fool is someone who's set in their ways. Um, But if we zoom out, uh, there's a negative view of fear, that, set in their ways. Uh, Sorry, a negative view of foolishness. But there's a positive view of foolishness. That in the Bible, there's a positive view 
of uh, foolishness. And it says this. It says that God can use the foolish things of this world to shame the people who think they're strong. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul is writing to a church who thinks they're all that, who think they're so powerful and amazing and, and triumphing over because of who, well, how Jesus has come. And Paul says, actually, you don't get it. You kind of got things wrong because of this. 1 Corinthians 1, especially verses 27 and, and 30 of chapter 1. It says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That the wisest person came for the most foolish people and accomplished redemption for the most foolish people in what the world would call the most foolish way. How do we see that? It's this. This table is stupid. It's foolish. How in the world could the whole entire cosmos be changed by uh, someone hanging on a tree, spilling their blood, and giving their life? And yet God chose that and shamed the strong and gave life to the weak and the fools. This is the table for fools. For the people who don't get it, can't do it on their own, aren't wise in their own eyes, and say, yes, I'm a fool, and I want a piece of that wisdom. Because that story of wisdom, that story that, that, that gives goodness and wisdom to fools like me is a story I want to be a part of. The reason God's wisdom is good is because it takes us out of our story of um, kind of crazy, cyclical foolishness and places it in God's story of wisdom that redeems us. That's the goodness of this table. It's a table of wisdom for fools like you and me. Let's pray. Psalm 130 verse 4 says, Lord, that um, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so this day... May we experience and know and revel in forgiveness. And because of that forgiveness, we are fearful of you because we are freed. We don't fear you because we're scared of you. We fear you because you are full of greatness, benevolence. And this table is a display of that. That it actually tells us what you think of us that you are a rescuer. Lord, would you come for us this day and may we revel in grace, revel in mercy, and revel in a wisdom that says we are greater than our foolishness because of a God who has come for us. We pray in your name, Christ. Lord, would you come for us this day and may we revel in grace, revel in mercy, and revel in a wisdom that says we are greater than our foolishness because of a God who has come for us. We pray in your name, Christ.